Okay, good morning. How's everybody doing today? My name is, uh, is Joshua Guerrero. For those of you guys that, that do not know me, I have the privilege of serving as uh, the campus coordinator in Austin, so up north. I also have the privilege of serving on the worship team uh, in both here and in Austin, so uh, that's a lot of fun. I've had the uh, privilege of, uh, and I'm humbled to have been able to walk with Jesus for uh, the past six, almost seven years now. Uh, for the past three to three and a half years in this church with, uh, with this family, with Pastor Peter and, uh, and all that good stuff. And I'm super, super happy to be here and uh, to be able to be with you guys today. Uh, if you haven't been, uh, been in a little bit, we are in week four of our series called Launch. And Launch is a series kind of looking at Acts 1 and 2 and looking at how God empowers his church, right, empowers us here Right. So if you here in in this place today are are in relationship with Jesus and in fellowship with his church, right, then you are his people. You are his children. You you are counted as the church, how he empowers his church um, to into a new season through the work that Christ has done on the cross. Um, Last week, Pastor Peter talked about a new power, right, a new power that God offers us through our growing relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in that new power, from that, we're moving on this week into new peace, into new peace. And we're going to be coming out of Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13. But before we get there, I kind of want to highlight why I think this is so poignant. We're going to get there, uh, but I think that to really understand how necessary and important talking about peace is today, we have to maybe look at the fact that that there's not any Um, I don't think anybody in here, if I were to say, hey, we're talking about peace today, would kind of look back and be like, oh, that's, that's a waste of time. Our world is so peaceful. Why would we need to talk about that? I don't think anyone's gut reaction is that. It's evident when we look in our day-to-day lives that we see the tension. We see a lack of peace. We see uh, uh, in our day-to-day lives, every avenue and, and, and across the spectrum, we see a lack of peace in our face every day. Whether it's these polarizing political views, right, where, where it's just so clear that these two guys and, and these groups of people, honestly, just like don't like each other that much. Or, or whether it's, it's an increase in, in, in divorce rates and an increase in single-parent homes or, or the diminishing value of family units in our culture today. Whether it's warring nations and we see viral videos of babies being carried out of rubble. Or on a personal note, for, uh, for a lot of us, uh, in racial tensions that are so at the front of our view, um, as a, a person of color who has experienced what some could deem uh, discriminatory policing, uh, it's totally understandable why individuals want to change and reform a criminal justice system. While at the same time, there's other views that, that, that hold that they want to or that we want to preserve and, and honor and protect the, the individuals that put on badges and, and serve and protect our communities. And, and we can feel the tension of those two views, whether it's that or, or politics or war. The thing is, we can feel the tension that comes from a lack of peace in our world and in our lives in everyday matters. 
And it spurs us to action. It spurs us to doing something. It spurs us to moving. That's why Democrats argue with Republicans about who's right. Why Republicans argue with Democrats about who's right. It's, it's why we take our families to marriage counselors. It's why we take our families to family counselors to try to see if we can repair this evident rift that's in our, 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 our families and our homes. It moves us to action when we see war-torn countries and we feel the need to put like a, a Facebook filter or a, a photo filter on our Facebook picture and, and say that we stand in unity with these other people in this place where they're struggling. It's, it's the same reason we make hashtags in, in social media because we want to take a stand. We want to be about something because we can see that we need something. We can see that there's a lack of something. We can see that there's a lack of peace and we can see that we need peace and we want to be the avenues by which that comes. We want to see it come by any way that we can. But the fact is, is that peace isn't, uh, or a lack of peace isn't new or, or to our generation. It's not like this, this era, this century even, is like the first one to experience a lack of peace. It's not like, this is, it's not like someone like 20 years ago was like, man, is that what war is like? We really shouldn't do that anymore. Like that's, it didn't happen that way. War's not new. Family strife isn't new. Discriminatory actions aren't new. Opposing political views aren't new. None of that is new. Since the beginning of humanity's existence, humanity has struggled to maintain this ever sought after thing called peace. And whether you believe, no matter what you believe about the origins of, of humans' existence, right? No matter what you believe, they, where they, we come from, any of that, it's evident. We can all agree that it has been hard for humanity to maintain peace on earth. This modern example of what we're seeing now, it's just the modern iteration, the modern manifestation of man's war against peace. That's the only thing it really is. It's not new. Now, today, as we track through Acts chapter 2, verses 5 through 13, I believe that we're going to uh, see God's response to man's war against peace. We're going to see God's response to a lack of peace among God's children. Um, We're going to see exactly how he responds to that. Now, this is what I pray we do see, which is, if you put this up on screen. This is the main takeaway I hope we get today is that God desires to bring peace and reconciliation among his children through bringing peace and reconciliation between us and himself. So I'm going to say that one more time. God desires to bring peace and reconciliation among his children through bringing peace and reconciliation between us and himself. Now, if you would uh, stand with me to honor uh, God's word as we read from Acts chapter to, uh, if you want, it's going to be up on the board, but if you brought a paper Bible, open that bad boy up because it's a paper Bible. Thank God there's still paper Bibles. Um, but if you have a phone, do that or read it up on the screen because thank God for technology. That's why. Um, so now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking uh, Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, 
uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Uh, if as you're having a seat, you would pray with me. Uh, Father, we thank you so much. We, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would bless this time, open our hearts and open our minds to receive what you would have for us, God. Uh, we all know what an absence of peace feels like, but so few of us uh, can sometimes know what the presence of peace feels like. I ask that you to reveal that today and that you would reveal your peace with us. We love you. We thank you. We put this time in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, I, Acts chapter 2. I, when I was just starting to follow the Lord, I absolutely loved the book of Acts. When I just started to follow Jesus, somebody was like, hey man, go read John's. And I was like, I'll go read John. And then after that, someone was like, you should read Acts now. And I was, I, I'm not going to lie, I don't even know who was telling me that. It could have been bad advice. There's no bad advice, I take that, but no bad advice when someone tells you to read the Bible. But they did say read Acts, and I was like, great, read Acts. Um, so I, I read Acts, and I specifically remember that as like a 20-year-old dude, this really stuck out to me because it was like their automatic response was like, clearly they're drunk. Automatic response like, man, these guys are wasted. And uh, I think about the times that sometimes we can encounter individuals and, and we really think they're, they're on it and really they're just being themselves. Uh, I, said this last, uh, <laughs> I said this last service that if you didn't know Pastor Peter well enough here, uh, if you didn't know Pastor Peter well enough, man, there would be some times where you'd be like, man, that dude's lit. Like, that dude's on it. Uh, but regardless, it's actually just, just the Spirit of God. It's just Jesus showing himself in Peter. And, uh, and in this moment, that's kind of what's going on. People, uh, going back to last week, Peter talked about, uh, Pastor Peter talked about the fact that the disciples were experiencing for the first time their initial baptism and indwelling with the Holy Spirit. And from that, they heard a sound of a rushing wind, and then they heard, uh, then they started speaking in other tongues. They started speaking in other languages. Now, that was last week. What we're reading here is everybody around them's direct reaction to what was going on. Okay, so while that's going on, people are kind of staring up outside, and they're like, man, what is, what is going on here? Now, these individuals that were gathering outside, um, the Bible does tell us a little bit about them. That huge list that we read through with all those names of places that are really hard to pronounce, I was weighing on me when I was reading it. I was like, I need to get this right. Just don't mess up, Josh. Um, all those different places are different parts of the world, of the known world at that time. And all these people were Jewish. They were Jews. They, they were uniting there and, and coming and traveling there under the, the guide of their religious culture. So they were coming uh, for Passover, or they had come for Passover, which is the, the period in time, the season, the, the festival by, in, in which uh, Jesus was crucified. And they had either moved there permanently or had stayed there through Pentecost, which is what the season and festival they were in now. Now, these individuals came from different places and, and they had a similar they had a similar religious culture but they were distinctly different culturally in other ways right they were from warring parts of the earth they were from different parts of the world each of them probably spoke greek which i think would be really comparable to english now like you can go to like china or mexico or any part of the world really and you'll find people that speak english but they also speak a native language that's pretty native 
to them where they are in their home. So they all spoke Greek in that same way, but, but they each spoke individual languages and dialects that were personal and unique to them. Now they were all here and they begin to hear something that, that, draw, that was drawing them to this, this room, just to kind of surround this room. We don't know what it was, uh, meaning it's between two things. It's between the sound of a rushing wind, right, which I don't know what that sounds like. I suppose it was probably pretty epic. I'm not going to lie. So they, they either were drawn by that or they were drawn by the sound of these individuals uh, kind of yelling out in these different languages. Now, think about the fact that the guys around there they spoke different languages. So hearing people shout in different languages might not have been the most unique thing to hear during that time. So it was probably the fact that they heard this awe-inspiring rushing wind, right? And so they kind of started going like, what's going on? So they rushed over there. When they got there, they started hearing these people proclaiming the mighty works of God in their native tongue. That's what we picked up from verse 11 here uh, in Acts 2. They, they heard individuals proclaiming the mighty works of God in their native tongue. Now, this became perplexing. Why? Why was this perplexing? Because the individuals speaking in these native tongues, the individuals proclaiming the works of God were actually Galileans. Were Galileans. And, and well, let's, let's break down what the Bible tells us about Galileans is that these individuals, for the most part, um, they spoke uniquely. Let's say that's a start. They had a, a heavy accent. It's, uh, it's part of the reason why during uh, Jesus' crucifixion, Peter started to deny him. And they were like, no, we can tell that you're one of his disciples because you're a Galilean. We can hear it in your voice. It, it, it was a specific way they talked and the accents in which that they spoke with that made them distinct. And that heavy accent also inhibited them. It stopped them from speaking other dialects properly. It stopped them from speaking other languages properly to the point that when a Galilean spoke, someone was like, you're definitely a Galilean. And in that, because of that accent, many people deemed them ignorant, uneducated, a little bit lower class, definitely not able to, to get a group of them together. And then all of a sudden they start spouting off like different languages left and right. That's definitely not happening. So what ends up happening is God uses these unique individuals who many people look down on and uses them to start proclaiming the mighty works of God intimately to each one of these people in their native tongue. They're blown away. Now, but native tongue isn't specifically just a language. There's, there's a, a, a deeper root into this thing talking about native tongue. Let me give you an example. Um, I used to work at a, at a bank. I'm not going to mention the bank because some of you guys might have uh, heard me trash talk said bank in the past, but I, I will say I used to work at a bank. And uh, that bank was in a very international area. So it was super cool because I'd be like, I was a teller there. And, and, um, and so people would come in, they'd come in from different parts of the world, London and uh, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, France. Uh, and every once in a while, some of the people that would come in would be from Central America or Latin America. Now, if it's not evident by looking at me, I'll, I'll go ahead and give you a clue that I'm a Hispanic guy. So uh, I, maybe you wouldn't have known that from my brown skin and black hair and insane amount of facial hair, but I, uh, I'm a Hispanic male. And so I'm not going to say that I'm fluent in Spanish. 
I'm not going to say that at all, but I'm going to say I'm strong at some Spanglish. And I'm even stronger at some broken Spanish, all right? But, but the thing is, is, is that I understand Spanish for the most part. It became more and more evident that I understood Spanish about like 13, 14, when my mom was trying to throw shade in Spanish and just kind of subtly doing it. And I was like, hey, I, I know what you're saying. Stop. That's offensive. Well, even though I could understand Spanish, People from Mexico, individuals from, from this central Texas area or even southern Texas would come in, talk to me, and I would no problem understanding what was going on. I you know, slid the car, did the transaction, et cetera, et cetera. But every once in a while, one of these guys from Central America or Latin America would come in, and they'd start just, again, I mean, a black hair, brown skin, so they'd just start rattling off Spanish to me. And, and when those guys would speak to me, I'd be like, I have no clue what they're saying. I have no clue. And it was predominantly because individuals and natives of, of those specific countries were more likely to have like this, this dancing musical dialect that's very rhythmic. And, and even though I, for the most part, could understand Spanish, it was super hard for me to understand their Spanish. It was, it was difficult. It was clear that I didn't know it. And then my Guatemalan coworker would come over and he'd handle it for me. And then he'd go back to his business, kind of like shake his head like a rookie. Um, but it was clear there was a distinct difference between the Spanish I understood and the Spanish they were speaking. Uh, let me give you another example. Last example here, uh, Pastor Peter sitting in the back. Everybody knows him, and if you haven't met him, if this is your first time here, he's that handsome white fellow in the back. Uh, when I got, <laughs> he's looking for him, and he's right there. Uh, well, Peter, uh, if you don't know, Peter's like the most Mexican a dude that's not Mexican could be ever. Like, it's insane. When I got here, like, he knows, the, he knows the culture, he knows the language, he knows the whole deal. When I got here, it was what really drew me to him, because I was like, man, this is a cold white man. Like, this is, this is next level. And so I, I automatically took to Peter, because I was like, man, this dude gets it. But even then, even so, there's a distinct difference between when Peter speaks and when I hear my dad speak, or when I hear my mother speak, or when I hear... Uh, my great uncle speaks Spanish. And there's just small things like accents, phrases. Uh, and these things, it, it's not anything against Peter. It's that no one except them speaks to me in that way. There's simple phrases, simple things that only they're going to communicate that when they say it, I'm just going to bust out laughing. It's just going to be funny to me because they uniquely say it in their language, in our language, and it's funny. It's home. It speaks to me. In that same way, these individuals that were outside listening weren't just saying, I think that sounds like this language. It was saying, man, that sounds like home to me. That's my native tongue. That sounds like mom. That sounds like dad. Those are things that would come when I was at home. God was literally speaking and trying to get as close to home with this as he possibly could by speaking in their native tongue directly to them. It's, it's worth noting here that God's initial proclamation to the world regarding his son was so intimate that the people were being perplexed by it. These Galileans who would not have known how to speak so intricately to these individuals' hearts were somehow yelling and screaming the mighty works of God to where it intimately spoke to these people from across the world. 
in their native tongue. So these guys were like, dude, what is going on here? What is up with this? And this is where I hope that we have a a, a takeaway moment here is that God desires to meet us intimately just where we are. If we could put that up on the the screen, that God desires to meet us intimately, uh, desires to intimately encounter us with the gospel right where we are. Yeah, that looks good. Um, That was it. That was it. God desires to intimately encounter us with the gospel right where we are. Um, it, it's just so funny that in these, these sprouting moments here, in, in these, these launching moments, uh, God wanted to see that every person that heard the gospel, that heard the mighty work of God, heard it so intimately, so deeply, that it resonated with them just where they were, right where they were coming from. And he wanted to communicate, I believe, that so intimately because he wanted individuals in that crowd to know that it didn't matter what part of the world you came from. It didn't matter if you were from north or south or east or west. It didn't matter if you were rich or if you were poor. It didn't matter if you were white or if you were black or in between. It didn't matter, you know, if you were self-righteous or if you understood and knew there was some trash in your life that you were dealing with. Or if you were full of faith that there is a God or if you were a little skeptical and had some doubts. It didn't matter because the gospel, the mighty work of Christ to redeem us, to take on our sin, wasn't going to care where you were coming from or where you were. It was going to meet you to declare God's mighty work to your life right there where you were. Not, you know, where we hope to be. I think so many of us think that we have to kind of monitor our posture to to see where we are with God, right? It's like, well, I can come to church if I feel like I've done well, but if I haven't done well, then I'm going to skip a week because I'm a little ashamed to to go after Saturday night when God is saying, no, 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 just come because I want, I'm coming to you. To declare the mighty works of God that have been done through Christ, I'm going to you to declare them right where you are, to love you out of that and into reconciliation with me. Now, that gospel, the the reconciling work of Christ, it it desired to meet them right where they were and and right where they were coming from, but it also desired to, to intimately communicate to them in exactly the way they needed to hear it in that moment exactly the way they needed to hear it in that moment. He intimately proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus, just how they needed to hear it. And I think that that intimacy, that personal touch, uh, was, was important and critical to understand because it, it gives us clue as to, to what God is doing. I think that if you were to ask the question, why is, is he going on about the intimacy of it, I would be glad that you asked that question because I'm going I'm I'm to elaborate on that right now. Um, why that level of intimacy? Why that level of, of personal touch? Uh, I believe a part of that is going to be is revealed to us in a chapter before in Acts chapter one. Right. So in Acts chapter one, verse six, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, at this time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, the disciples were still seeking peace externally. The new peace they thought was coming from Christ, they thought it was coming outside, and it's understandable. They saw their people afflicted, they saw them hurting, and they wanted things to change. They wanted things to be different. They said, Lord, are you going to now reform and change the things that are going on in the world and, and, and restore the kingdom back to Israel, take us away from Roman subjection? They hadn't realized that Christ 
initial concern, not his only concern, but his initial concern was not going to be for their external conflict, but it was going to be for their internal one. God wasn't going to look at them and say, okay, guys, I think what you really need right now, you know what, Trump and Hillary, I'm going to give you Gary Johnson. Let's, I got you. Don't worry. That wasn't, that wasn't how it went. God didn't say, I'm going to cure everything by your outside circumstances. He said, I'm going to I'm going to initially look at you and and reconcile the internal conflict. They didn't understand that the conflict they were most destroyed by wasn't the one they faced outside of themselves. It wasn't the one they saw the world, you know, give them. The, 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 The conflict that destroyed them the most was the one between themselves and their creator. That was the piece. That was the piece that was most needed that they missed the most. Now, the peace we want, the peace we need, it can't be found externally. We seek it outside of ourselves. We think it comes in forms of politics or in in forms of of, of everything else, but it's really just a deeper cry of the peace that we seek internally that that, that destroys us even more. It just kind of comes out in the way that we see, you know, needing peace in our relationships. And in fact, the very things that, 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 that drive away peace are just kind of the the manifestations, the results, I should say, the results of the lack of peace we have with our God. Um, now, Christ, he, he knows this. Christ knows this. That's why in, uh, in John 14, 27, Jesus says this, uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I'm going to read that one more time. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Christ understood when addressing these disciples that external peace, it's fleeting. It comes and then it goes. And so many times when we think we finally grasped onto the peace that we always wanted, we end up realizing it's something that can't even satisfy us at the deepest level because there's so much other uh, conflict and there's so much, there, there's so, such a lack of peace everywhere else that it still doesn't leave us satisfied. Now, in that, Christ still says, hey, don't let your heart be, be troubled. Don't let, it be, don't let it be scared. Now, now, I'm not going to lie. If someone was looking at me and I had an understanding that I was never going to find peace in the world, and he was like, but don't worry. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, you just, that's devastating news. But that's why he highlights, I'm, but don't worry, I'm not going to give you peace the way the world gives you peace. I'm not going to highlight the fact that you need less war. So we do. I'm not going to highlight the fact that we need um, better political systems, maybe, maybe we do, but I'm not going to try to give that to you so that you can be left wanting for peace again. I'm going to give you peace the way I give you peace. Now, remember, God desires to bring peace among his children by what? By first bringing peace between us and himself. Now, the peace we try to reach for in this world is fleeting. We said that, and it's impossible for this world to really give us the peace we desire. And the 
disciples, followers of Jesus, they hadn't yet seen that. The intimacy was necessary because God was going to take their perspective and he was going to move it from this external piece to saying, now look at this internal conflict that is greater than your external needs. This, 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 this thing inside, this lack of peace that you have between your creator, I'm going to reveal to you that this is what, what you really need. Now, as I was studying this week, D.A. Carson, an author and a New Testament scholar, is a brilliant man. He said it like this regarding the peace that Jesus talked about and the misunderstanding the disciples had. He said, the world is powerless to give peace. There is sufficient hatred, selfishness, bitterness, malice, anxiety, and fear that every attempted peace is rapidly swamped. The Pax Romana, the Roman peace, was won and maintained by a brutal sword. And not a few Jews thought by the, messi- thought by the messianic peace would have to be secured by a still mightier swords. So they thought that, that that Pax Romana, that Roman peace, that the Messiah, Jesus, was going to bring in an even bigger sword and, and chop that down. Now, instead, it was secured by an innocent man who suffered and died at the hands of the Romans, the Jews, and all of us. And by his death, he effected for his own followers peace with God, and therefore the peace of God which transcends all understanding. So many times we walk through life and and we feel the the weight of a lack of peace outside. And we think that all of the external conflicts in our life are what drives the lack of peace we have inside. And so we think, oh man, if only this was better in this way, I would be okay. And Christ looked at his disciples and said, no, no, no you wouldn't be okay. But don't worry. I'm going to make you okay. I'm going to offer a resolution internally between you and I that's going to give you peace, not like what you were expecting, but the peace that you really needed. I'm going to give you peace between you and I, and it's going to be a peace that transcends everything you understood to be peace before. When I was 20 years old, um, I was searching for peace. Same way all of us search for peace, you know. Um, And I searched for peace in in the ways that I think most 20-year-old young men search for peace, right? Like there was like girls and there was drugs and like I was going to college and I felt real proud of that. And uh, took some philosophy courses. I was like, man, these guys are real smart. You've got to learn this. And as I kept searching for that peace, each pursuit left me a little more empty inside. Left me a little more empty. And each pursuit left me wanting that peace I was searching for a little bit more than the one before that. I could feel its absence even more and more with each time I looked for peace and then I didn't find it. And eventually I was just, I was just beat up. I was just beat up. I was, I was hurt. I was lonely. Uh, there were multiple times that I would look in the mirror and, uh, and I would just feel like, man, I feel like the oldest 20-year-old I've ever met. I felt like a, just brittle inside. I felt weighty. It just, 
I felt like life wasn't supposed to be that way at 20. Like everybody else was having fun, but I feel like I can't, I can't escape the burden of, of restlessness and anxiety I feel. In that, uh, in that moment or in that season, I specifically remember that that weight just got heavier and heavier. And one day I remember thinking like, I need to, uh, I need to just go to the church. And the church that I was attending at the time was my dad's church. And uh, he's here. Give him a shout out. Love you. And uh, as I went there, I, uh, I remember falling on my knees in an empty building. I just put a CD on in the background. I went to the front and it wasn't this setting. It wasn't this, this magical kind of setting where there's great songs and there's a guy talking up front and all these people. And there's like, if you come up and pray, there's this huge support system. It wasn't that. It was an empty building with empty chairs. And one dude that just needed to get the burden of an absence of peace off of himself. And it may not have looked like this church service, but it was where I was. It was where I was coming from. And that's exactly where God knew I needed to be met. And in those moments, I surrendered this search for peace that I had pursued for the past 20 years. And he exchanged that burden for a new peace that transcended what I thought peace would be when I found it. It was greater. It was deeper. It was more satisfying. It left me looking at the world and being dissatisfied, but knowing that I was okay because I was wrapped in the love, mercy, and grace of my creator. Um, Today, I think that all of us in here know the tensions uh, that come with an absence of peace. We all know the feeling of kind of looking at like political systems or or marriage or or racial tensions or... uh, or war in the world. And we, we know the feeling of saying, man, something's missing and, and I, I need something more. And then on a personal level to see what, we are, what we're hoping will satisfy us in our lives, what we're hoping will bring us peace. Sometimes we look at children or marriage or, or jobs or work. We look at the most personal things and say, man, maybe that's going to be what finally does it for me. While God's saying, no, I've already provided you with the peace that only I could give you and is the one piece you need. Today, uh, wherever you are, uh, whatever struggles you're experiencing with peace, whatever peace you lack, the same way God met these individuals where they were, where they were coming from, and spoke to them just how they needed, I believe that the Holy Spirit here today wants to speak to us about our peace between us and our creator, where we are, where we're coming from, and just how we need to hear it. If you would, uh, if you would bow your head, if, uh, if in this place for, for yourself, you, you know that you have pursued peace and it's, it's something that has eluded you, something that you can't find, something you haven't found, and that burden, that weight, something you desire to, to let go of, and you haven't experienced that new peace that we've discussed. You don't know what it's like to feel a peace that transcends understanding, 
a peace that comes from our Redeemer redeeming us back to our Heavenly Father, back to our Creator. If you don't know that peace and you desire to, would you please raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. On the other hand, if you're in here and you do know that peace, you've experienced the peace internally that, that reconciles us back to God, that, that, that lifts our spirits, that lets us know that everything will be okay, even in the midst of trials, because we're wrapped in the mercy and grace and loving arms of an almighty God. If you know that peace, but you're still dissatisfied when you look out into the conflict in the world, but no longer are you seeking peace in the way the world gives, but know that the only way peace is brought to the world is by the inward reconciliation of us to our God, to our Father, to his loving mercy and grace. If you have that burden and you know that you know that peace and you want to take it to a hurting world, a hurting community, a hurting friend, if you have that burden today, would, would you raise your hand? Thank you. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for the gift of new peace that you provide through reconciling us to you as our creator. Um, we thank you that you don't leave us in seeking peace outside of ourselves and thinking that that's going to satisfy us, but you draw us to yourself, you bring us into peace with you, and then send us out to be peacemakers no matter how unlikely to declare the good works of God, the mighty work of your redeeming grace to a world that's hurting. We love you. We thank you. We ask that for those that don't know that peace today, that you would uh, soften their heart to, to release that burden that seeks peace, God, but doesn't find it. And they would let that go and exchange it with you for a new peace. We love you. We thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.